This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earnin today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 244 with Dr. Jenny Yip. Show notes for this episode, including all links mentioned in the episode and any discount codes for our sponsors can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 244. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Dr. Jenny Yip is a clinical psychologist, author, speaker, and nationally recognized obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety expert. Since childhood, Dr. Yip has fought her own personal battle with OCD. Like so many others, she found herself falling victim to the daily struggles that OCD can bring to one's life. Inspired by her childhood struggles and motivated to help others overcome theirs, Dr. Yip established the Renewed Freedom Center in Los Angeles to help those suffering from OCD and anxiety disorders by providing the most advanced treatment available. She developed the Family Systems-Based Strategic CBT, integrating mindfulness training and strategic paradoxical techniques with cognitive behavior therapy, also known as CBT. For over a decade, she has successfully treated severe OCD and anxiety disorders within this comprehensive modality. I am so grateful to Dr. Yip for coming on the show and so openly sharing her story of postpartum OCD. I know many moms are going to be able to relate to the crippling effects of anxiety during that postpartum time. And Dr. Yip does an excellent job shedding light on postpartum anxiety, hypervigilance, and obsessive compulsive disorder. 
After we dive deep in adult OCD, we talk about what OCD can look like in children of all ages. And you might be surprised as OCD can manifest in many different ways in kids. If you have a child who you think might be struggling with impulses, anxiety, worry, routines, depression, defiance, attention, there might be some new insights in this conversation for you. Listen in to hear Dr. Yip share all the ways OCD can manifest, as well as the three different ways it showed up in her family growing up the crippling grip that postpartum OCD had on her and what it cost her in her relationship with her twin sons, how adults can use cognitive behavioral therapy and exposure therapy to quickly improve their OCD symptoms, what OCD looks like in children, what is quirky kid behavior versus OCD behavior, why OCD is often misdiagnosed as ADD, ADHD, or oppositional defiant disorder in kids, and what kind of treatment modes are successful in treating kids with OCD and anxiety. This conversation was so fascinating, and you'll hear me ask a number of my own personal questions. I was so excited to talk to Dr. Yip, and then as we were digging into things, I was like, okay, like half my questions are going to be personal because there's so many things in my own life that I could relate to in her experiences and things that I've struggled with throughout my life that I'm just kind of learning about. Like maybe I've been struggling with some things with anxiety since I was really, really young. And I don't know, maybe some of that was OCD and some of the things that I see happening with Vinny, he has a lot of similar characteristics as me and some of them are a little more severe than me. And I wonder what that's going to look like as he gets older. So we talk about all that. We dig deep into my family. But these kinds of conversations are so helpful because just like when I talked to Debbie Reber about her book, Differently Wired, when we start to see how people behave in different ways and how it serves them and sometimes doesn't serve them and what that can mean and how we can work together to work around habits and support each other and learning about habits and support each other in working through habits to live better lives and live more functionally and not be crippled by the things that make us different. It makes all the difference in the world. So I really, really love this conversation. And I'm so grateful that Dr. Yip came on the show and shared as openly as she did. And I really, really hope that this conversation serves as a really powerful resource to you out there. Please do share out this episode if you think it would touch someone in your life who might be struggling with OCD in themselves or in their children or anxiety in their themselves or their children. All right. So without further ado, let's dive in with Dr. Jenny Yip. Dr. Jenny Yip, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I so appreciate you being here today. Thank you so much for having me. So I will tell our listeners what I told you in our little pre-interview that I listened to an interview with you yesterday, and it made me so excited about our interview because after listening to your interview, I diagnosed myself with like a couple different things. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I love to use myself as a, a research study for everyone else listening to the show. So this will be fun. Well, you know, you'd be amazed at how many people suffer from various things and don't know it. Yes, yes. And that's been really eye-opening to me and since becoming a mom, especially, and then in the last couple of years, as I've kind of started putting together things that have been like prominent my whole life that I just thought were like normal things. And then I'm like, oh, maybe that's mm -hmm. actually like diagnostic. That might be more. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see. Well, I'll definitely ask you a few personal questions as we go through this of today. Of course. Happy to answer them. Oh, good, good. Tell us a little more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio. And what are you most excited about right now? Okay, well, that's a lot there. <laughs> I know, we're <laughs> diving right into everything. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> 
Well, let's see. My professional life, I am an OCD specialist. So I'm a licensed psychologist and I specialize in the treatment of obsessive compulsive disorder and related anxiety disorder, especially in the pediatric population, but also with women and postpartum OCD. However, how did I get into this is I come from a family with many OCD suffers. And of course, growing up, I had no idea that we had OCD because each of us had a different subtype of OCD. Oh, interesting. This is why OCD becomes so complex and, you know, it's just misdiagnosed oftentimes because depending on what subtype you have, you can present one way and completely different as somebody else who has a different subtype, yet you both have OCD. So my dad, he was like the checker. You know, he would check everything. And I remember being kids, we'd sit in the car waiting for him to finish checking. We'd drive away, we'd have to drive back. And we just thought that our dad was, you know, just a very cautious guy, nothing to it, right? And my grandmother, she was, and this is my paternal grandmother, she was the cleaner. You know, she liked to keep everything organized, everything clean. And, you know, I remember it was hard having friends over as a kid because my friends would sit somewhere and as soon as they get up, she'd go and wipe down the couch or they touch something. And as soon as we move into a different room, she'll reorganize all of the items to its proper place. So, you know, I mean, those are two completely different presentations if you can visualize it. Whereas for me, I had, you know, various subtypes. I started out with contamination fears where I would wash and shower. And then I had specific sequences to how I was supposed to bathe. If the sequence was, you know, messed up, I would have to go back and redo everything. And it got to a point when I was in my teens where I was showering anywhere between like 10 to 12 times a day. Oh my gosh. Of course, now my parents, they would joke about it. They would say things like, well, if we had given you the water bill, then maybe you wouldn't be um, showering so much. I'm right. like, yeah, you <laughs> should have done that, you know? Wow. But I had that. I had symmetry and exactness. So everything I do on the left side had to feel the same as the right side or otherwise I would feel like it's unbalanced. Mm. So even at my 16th birthday party, I was three hours late to my own party because I couldn't get out the house. At that oh time, it was symmetry and exactness. Now, I had gone through my entire childhood not knowing I had OCD. And it wasn't till I was in college that one of my professors saw me writing and erasing. Back in the day, we didn't have laptops. <laughs> you know, you were lucky to have a computer. But, you know, I was writing and erasing and writing and erasing. And she called me up after class and, you know, asked me if I had OCD. And that was the first time I even heard of the term. Wow. And that was such a relief. That was like, oh, my gosh, you mean there are other people who do what I do? So from realizing that, then in school, I 
studied psychology and fell into a practicum center, a, a internship where they treated obsessive compulsive disorder. This is the behavior therapy center of greater Washington in Washington, D.C. with Dr. Charles Mansueto. And that's where my career path began. Wow. Interesting. You know, you say that it was a relief when someone suggested that you might have OCD. And I thought maybe you were going to say that that was scary to you because to be presented with a potential diagnosis, I would think could be frightening to someone. So I think it's really profound that for you, that was freeing and liberating and like, oh my gosh, this is a thing that other people might understand and relate to. Yes, exactly. I think, you know, we all want to be understood. Yeah. And we all want to be validated in our experiences being validated. And, you know, the reality is, if you've gone through so many years doing something, feeling something and not knowing why. And then all of a sudden there's this label. It explains why this is happening and what you can do about it. Well, now there is a light at the end of that tunnel, Mm -hmm. whereas previously it was just dark. Right. So that light at the end of the tunnel is kind of the answer of, oh, wow, there is an explanation for this. And there is very, very effective treatment for this, where I don't have to be showering eight to 12 times a day, where I don't have to be doing things, you know, on the left side with the right side and feeling symmetry. Mm. So that was a relief. That makes a lot of sense. When you were going through your training, were you then kind of treating yourself through that training so that you could work through some of the challenges and overcoming some of the rituals that you had around your OCD? Oh, yes. So, you know, part of being a cognitive behavior therapist, specifically one who does exposure and response prevention therapy, which is the evidence-based treatment for OCD, is that you have to be able to do the exposure work that you ask your patients to do. Oh my gosh. Tell us about that. So when I have my first patient with contamination fears, I had to ask him to do the things that I would be able to do. Mm. And even though it was daunting to touch, you know, doorknobs and light switches and lick the bottom of my shoes, I had to demonstrate that you can do it. And hey, look, nothing bad is happening. Wow. So doing all of those exposures myself, you know, kind of felt relieving. It it kind of felt like, oh, my goodness, I don't have to spend so many hours doing these compulsions in order to feel okay. That being contaminated with germs and dirt and whatnot does not necessarily mean that I am going to be ill. And it was freeing. Yeah. Was it scary? Hell yes. It was very, <laughs> very scary. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's hard for people, if you've never had that kind of fear, like you can't explain what that feels like and you can't make someone understand how crippling that can be. And mm-hmm. so I'm sure people listening are like, flipping on a light switch is your therapy. But for someone who has this battle in your brain, 
that's a really big deal. Like touching something that could potentially be contaminated is a really big deal. You know, I was actually, when I was listening to the interview I listened to yesterday with you, I was thinking my own exposure therapy would be around right now, around um, heights and how I make myself go on Ferris wheels with my son because I want to show him that I do things that I'm scared of, but I cannot stand heights. And no matter like how much I seem to expose myself to them, that doesn't seem to get better. But I also I'm like, okay, I just have to make myself keep doing it because yes. I want to be a strong mom and be a role model. <laughs> that was actually really freeing to hear you kind of talk through what that cognitive behavior therapy looks like. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, what we're asking patients to do is we're asking them to confront their fears, yeah. right? And we all have fears. Fears are natural. Without fears, we wouldn't be very adaptive. The question is, what do you do with those fears? Are the fears actually protecting you and keeping you safe from doing silly things like jumping off bridges? Right. <laughs> or are the fears overwhelming and debilitating your ability to function and do everyday activities. Right. So those of us who have diagnosable anxiety or OCD, our functioning is being debilitated. That's how you are diagnosed, right? So part of the diagnostic criteria is that it's not just that you have fears, it's that the fears are impacting, hindering your ability to function and do everyday activities. Right. Right. So we all have some levels of avoidances and we all have some levels of desire to organize and be neat and be clean. However, when it comes to obsessive compulsive disorder, you're spending many, many hours a day engaged in behaviors to feel safe. And when treatment requires you to confront those fears, it gives you the opportunity to test out your belief system and realize, oh, it's actually not that threatening. And that feedback is what you need to be able to open up your world to experience more or to be able to tolerate more discomfort so that you start opening up your world more and more. Right, right. So you have twins, is that correct? I do. I have 19-month toddlers right now. Oh my gosh, that must be really busy. Yes, who are going through the terrible twos. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So by the time you got to into motherhood, had you resolved a lot of your symptoms around OCD? Oh yes. By the time I was In my 20s, I was able to function without engaging in any OCD behavior. And I never thought I would have to repeat any of the exposures or deal with OCD in my own personal life. However, after having my twins, within a week's time, OCD reared its ugly head again. And it was completely unexpected. And at that point, even though the theme was similar, again, the presentation was so different than anything I had ever experienced that I didn't even realize I was suffering from OCD again. Right. 
This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep (laughs) as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toes all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. And what did it, can you tell us what that looked like? Oh, sure. Yes, it was ugly. (laughs) (laughs) I was in tears most days and uh, feeling very, very uncomfortable. It felt like claws against a chalkboard. And that's what it felt like most of the times. More specifically, my biggest fear at that time was that I would love one twin more than the other. And I would treat them differently, and in some weird OCD way, I would cause emotional harm to their development. So because of that fear, I had to make sure that everything I did for one of the twins 
was exactly the same as the other. You know, some things were easier than others. So, for example, how I cleaned the bottles and measuring, you know, measuring the milk that they got. However, some things were much more challenging to measure. So, for example, if if they were breastfeeding, how do you measure how much milk each twin got? Right. So another thing I was spending every night comparing the thoughts that I was having during the day about each twin. And I would compare how many times I thought of each twin. What did I think about? How did I feel about the thought? Was it a positive thought or a negative thought? I mean, I was driving myself crazy. Yeah. And all of this was, you know, just to make sure that I was treating them equally so that one twin wouldn't feel like he was favored more than the other. Right. Can you speak a little bit to, because there's the habits around OCD, which is, I think people are more familiar with, which is the washing the hands. And like you said, showering 10, 12 times a day and the contamination issues, not wanting to touch doorknobs or light switches. But then there's this obsessive thought piece that's a little less tactile. Can you talk a little bit about that part of it? Because it sounds like that was what was really crippling for you postpartum. Right. I think what the general population doesn't understand is that OCD occurs in your head. Mm -hmm. The physical component that you see is only the result of what happens in your head. So let's break OCD down. Okay. You have obsessions and then you have compulsions. Obsessions are like any of the intrusive thoughts, sensations, images that are horrifying. The best way that I can explain it, it's kind of like if you had a nightmare that kept replaying in your head over and over repeatedly 24-7, except for when you're asleep. Right. So that's what an obsession is. It's these horrific, gross, demoralizing, guilt, shameful type of thoughts, sensations, images that you have. And because of that, you're going to naturally feel uncomfortable. You're going to feel disgusted. You're going to feel shameful. You're going to feel horrible. And we don't like to live in discomfort. Naturally, we don't live in discomfort. And therefore, we want to do something about that uncomfortable feeling generated by those intrusive obsessions. So we engage in something called compulsions. Compulsions are any physical or mental thing you do in order to take away the intrusive thoughts to help you feel better, to give you that relief. The problem is the relief is only temporary and it doesn't take away the obsession. It doesn't take away those intrusive thoughts. So therefore, the next time when the intrusive thoughts reoccur, you're going to feel uncomfortable again. And when you feel uncomfortable, what are you going to do? You're going to do exactly the same thing that worked previously. Right. So something common, right? I fear 
contamination. So I so I touch something, it feels disgusting. Now I'm feeling contaminated. I'm feeling anxious about all the possible consequences of being contaminated. I could get some horrible disease that nobody can fix, and I will die from from flesh eating bacteria. Right. Right. And because of that intense fear, I'm going to wash and I'm going to sanitize and I'm going to make sure that everything around me is absolutely bacteria free, which isn't even possible. However, in my distorted belief system, as long as I could get to as close as 100 percent, that is my goal. Right. So then that cycle repeats itself over and over and over again. However, what people see are the quirky behaviors, right? The checking, the repeating, going in and out of doors, washing, organizing, arranging. However, what people don't see are the nightmares that are repeating in a sufferer's mind. And that is the most daunting part of OCD. So for people suffering from postpartum depression, of course, I mean, I'm sorry, postpartum OCD, of course, the fear is related to your baby, because OCD harps on whatever you care about in the moment. Mm. A new parent, what you're going to care about is your new innocent infant who is helpless and completely relying on you to protect it, to care for it, to nurture it. So you have, as a new parent, you have a huge responsibility. And what if you mess up? What if you do something that harms this baby, whether it's purposefully harm or it's accidental harm? Right. So these thoughts start ruminating your head like that broken record that keeps repeating the nightmare. Right. And it interferes with your ability to bond with your baby, to care with your baby. And I just want to say that postpartum OCD doesn't just affect women. It also affects men. So I think that's huge for some of fathers out there. That makes sense. And I think it's interesting because that postpartum time is already, for so many reasons, a time of hypervigilance. Yes. So I can imagine how triggering that would be for someone who struggles with OCD that like it would just spin you right into that because it's mm-hmm. even under like the best of circumstances, it's just a really challenging time where you feel responsible for so many new things that are like it just naturally terrifying. <laughs> Right. And, you know, research shows that between 60 to 90 percent of new mothers and new fathers experience unwanted negative thoughts about their infants, because this is a period where you are hypervigilant about the care and the health of your baby. And when there are so many warnings in the world about SIDS, about accidental drownings, about accidental poisoning. As parents, and especially as a new parent, you're going to be really, really alert of all of these warnings. So that plus not getting sleep. So as a new parent, you're not going to get a lot of sleep. So 
the hypervigilance plus the lack of sleep plus for women the hormonal imbalances that's the perfect storm for OCD to develop right what did hypervigilance look like for you and how did your symptoms kind of where did they send you to at the darkest time and how did you work through that well my hypervigilance was i couldn't really be away from my babies you know i think some people say that they would be so pleased if they could get some sleep for me sleep even though i knew i needed it was the worst time mm. because what if something happens to them yeah while i was asleep and what if they stopped breathing while i was asleep then it would be my fault Mm. that i couldn't resuscitate them that i couldn't get them to the help that they need so for me i didn't want sleep i wanted to stay awake and sleep like i remember i would sleep maybe 3 hours a day i remember my parents would force me to go to bed mm. and i would go to sleep and i'd set my alarm for 3 hours and i'd wake up if i had 4 hours you know i was being kind to myself but i would wake up and the first thing that i do is check on them you know are they breathing right are they okay and i remember even seeing them breathing wasn't enough i had to put my hands on their chest and feel the warmth of their skin i had to feel that their chest was rising and falling So that's how irrational OCD can be. How did you work through that? I mean, I'm thinking of what a struggle that time is for just for new moms in general and to work mm-hmm. through something like that would be so yeah. overwhelming. Well, I had to basically do my own exposures that I prescribed to my patients. which is i had to imagine the possibility of harm befalling them i had to visually see and imagine horrific things happening to them over and over and over again so the way that exposure therapy works it's kind of like learning any new skill right so if you were learning a new language or learning to play a new instrument you have to keep repeating and rehearsing your skill set in order for it to be second nature right with exposure therapy it's the same i'm just exposing yourself once to your fear isn't going to give you enough feedback that oh this isn't threatening enough because the ocd mind and the anxious mind will always have a what if well what if that was just a coincidence well what if you know that isn't meaningful enough so just like an experiment you know the the scientific method is you have to experiment test your hypothesis again and again and again and again right with exposures is very much the same thing you have to repeat your exposures again and again and again and again now with someone with a fear of contaminating their baby with unclean bottles and nipples or what not you know the thing would be to okay well just wash it and dry it and then give it to them right that is something that's physical however something like seeing your baby's dying Well, you can't 
you know, legally or, or ethically or morally. Right, right, just right. Yeah, so, I know. I was thinking this seems right? much yeah. more challenging. Right. So how do you expose yourself to those themes? Well, you have to do it imaginally. And the reality is those of us with OCD, we have wild imaginations. I mean, we already think about all of these possibilities that could happen, right? All of these potential consequences of harm befalling our loved ones. And therefore, I'm not doing anything new. I'm just taking control over that image. And I'm just purposefully repeating that image again and again and again until that image loses its power. You know, and that's not the same as till you get used to the image, because I don't think for any parent you can get used to the image of seeing your child dying. However, the image does lose its power. Mm, And that is torturous. It is torturous. I was in tears, you know, even thinking about it right now, I still feel that heartbreak, you know, and the task is very daunting. So the question is, what kept me going? Why would a parent want to go through that torture of visualizing harm befalling their children? Well, because I wasn't connecting with my babies authentically. I wasn't able to bond with them authentically. Everything that I was doing was to please OCD. It was because it was an OCD rule. It wasn't authentic. I wasn't able to bond without OCD's interference. And I did not want my relationship. I mean, I mean, think about how distorted this is, right? So I'm doing all of these things in order to make sure that I love them equally and not cause them emotional harm, mm-hmm. right? Yet, by engaging in all of these ridiculous compulsive behaviors, I was actually not bonding with them. And if that had occurred long term, I probably would have caused them emotional harm because I was connecting with them. So this is how distorted OCD can be and how irrational OCD can be. So for me, what kept me going at exposing myself to these horrible, horrible thoughts was that I didn't want that kind of relationship with my children. I didn't want an OCD relationship with my children. I wanted a real, genuine, authentic relationship connection with them. And, you know, now looking back, that's what I had to do. Of course, I always joke now, you know, if if they had gone through their terrible twos at the age of, you know, three months, I probably wouldn't have postpartum. (laughs) (laughs) You know, right, right. That's so funny. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show 
where as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 50 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer endocrine system disruption and liver toxicity which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special unique and important in terms of how they are able to filter water they also have water purifiers to fit every type of home so like the installation free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options they even have wi-fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options so I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. That's so interesting. So what can moms do if this resonates with them? If this is something that our listeners might be struggling with in their own postpartum experience, what resources would you point them to? Because I want to talk a little bit about kids and OCD next, but I want to make sure that we've given moms resources. So where would you point moms to if they're struggling with this? Well, there are several nonprofit national organizations. And one is the International OCD Foundation, and their website is iocdf.org. The other one is the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, and theirs is adaa.org. And it is so crucial to find a expert, a specialist, in OCD, who has experience, and I'm talking about successful experience right. treating OCD. Right. And you have to make sure that they do exposure therapy. It's not just talk therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the reality is that many new parents fear disclosing these horrific thoughts because they fear the negative judgment from other people. Except if you go to an expert who has experience treating this, 
they completely understand and treatment is very short term. This isn't, you know, years and years and years and years of psychotherapy. We're not talking about your childhood. We're teaching you tools and teaching you ways that you can engage with your world without having OCD's interference. Oh, that's perfect. Especially in that postpartum time, like you don't have time to dive into your whole life story. You're like, I just need yes. to like, I need to get through today. I need to, yes, yeah, so that, exactly. that's, I can see where that would be really helpful and supportive and powerful. Exactly. When we get closer to the end of the interview here, we'll also make sure that you point out where people can connect with you and your resources, of because of course, I know that will be really helpful as well. So let's of shift course. gears a little bit and talk about what OCD looks like in kids, because I know you also specialize in that. Yes. Yeah. What does OCD look like in kids? And I'll let you know right away. I'm asking as someone who thinks maybe they're, I have joked since my son was very young that I'm like, what's age do you diagnose OCD? Because he had habits from the time he was really little that were like kind of cute and funny at the time. But I was like, this might be an indicator of something bigger. And like I mentioned earlier um, in our initial conversation, I think that I definitely have some tendencies that you know, just in a couple of years ago, I started thinking like, maybe I struggle, maybe I have anxiety. Maybe there's actually a label for this like thing that I always have in my stomach. And after listening to you talk about OCD more and especially about obsessive thoughts, I'm like, oh, maybe I've had OCD my whole life and maybe <laughs> my son does. Right. So yeah, so I'm very curious and that's, I just wanted to give you like the lens through which I'm receiving this information. I'm just super interested. So what does OCD look like in kids and when do we start seeing signs? What can they look like and how can we kind of have that on our radar? Well, OCD can occur at any time. I mean, we've had kids at the Renewed Freedom Center from the age of two onward with OCD. The most prevalent time where kids are most vulnerable is during the puberty. Okay. It's during puberty when, again, there's that hormonal shift. However, there are kids as young as two with full-blown OCD. Now, the themes that younger kids have are going to be different than those of adolescents, right? So kids who are younger will have fears of contamination is pretty common Mm. amongst everyone. However, fears of something bad happening to mommy and daddy or something bad happening to me. And therefore, they would want to do things to feel safe, whether it's checking or seeking reassurance that everything is going to be okay with themselves or a family member. It could come out in the way of academic performance. So kids who tend to be perfectionists want to excel in school. And there's so much pressure on kids today. It's ridiculous. However, I have kids as young as five already thinking about which college they want to go to. And if if they don't get a 4.0 in kindergarten, (laughs) they're not going to get into the college of their dreams. And, you know, it's like, wow, a five-year-old is thinking about college already. Okay. What have we been doing? Right, right. So with kids, it's, you know, anything that a kid could fear, Mm -hmm. it could turn into OCD if the kid is trying to do something to feel better. Remember the compulsive side, right? So the obsession is going to be whatever that fear is. And then the compulsion is going to be the thing that they do to feel better. 
So my son has always had funny things. And some of them I thought were kind of age appropriate, but like he went through like a three-year phase where he was always carrying a water bottle. And like, Mm -hmm. we laugh because in multiple Santa pictures, he's holding a water bottle. (laughs) There was no getting rid of that water bottle. And when we went to get him to get a passport picture, the guy at the passport place was like, yeah, he can't hold a water bottle in the picture. And I was Mm -hmm. like, good luck getting it away from him. (laughs) So we had like just little things like that or like shoes cannot be in his room when he goes to bed at night. He has to put his shoes in the guest bedroom or outside of his bedroom door. Mm -hmm. So they're not Mm -hmm. like super concerning things, but they're just these like little tendencies where I'm like, where does that come from? And so that's kind of, I've always noticed that there's been a lot of stuff with separation anxiety, which has gotten a lot better with age. But sometimes are those kind of those behaviors that we just look at and we're like, that's kind of silly and quirky and it doesn't really make sense can those be precursors of OCD or is that just kids being kids it could be either or okay you know I mean at the end of the day kids are all going to have silly quirky behaviors right right? that's what being a kid is about right and then the question is well what do they do with those behaviors yeah are they now spiraling Mm -hmm. and they're now getting more intense and now it's interfering with his functioning or is it just coming and going, which is a natural state of childhood, right? Right. They're trying different things. They're doing different things. They're learning different things and they're figuring out what works for me and what doesn't. So the question is, so his not wanting his shoes in his room when he sleeps at night, what would happen if the shoe stayed in his room? And yeah, and I don't know to answer your question, because I won't even notice that the shoes are in there because he usually takes his shoes off downstairs anyways, but occasionally they'll end up upstairs Mm -hmm. in his room. And I won't even notice that they're there, but I'll hear him. He has a little bit of a lofted bed. So I'll hear Mm -hmm. him jump off the bed, like after I've already come back downstairs and I'll hear Mm -hmm. the door open and the shoes get set outside. And I always just laugh. I'm like, oh my gosh, the shoes. Mm -hmm. But it started like kind of occurred to me after a while, like maybe this is not normal that he will not go to sleep. And there's other little things like kind of around that nighttime routine where there's just like little things that he does that are very particular. And Mm -hmm. like, I've never had to ask him to pick up toys off of his bedroom floor. His toys are always put away Mm -hmm. because he's an only child. I don't recognize that as being like shocking, but when we have friends over, they're like, what's wrong with his room? (laughs) There's like (laughs) literally like not one thing out of place. I'm like, I know like he's obsessed with Legos and people laugh about like stepping on Legos. He doesn't leave Legos on the floor. They're always put away. Right. Right. So I'm like, I don't know, maybe we're either blessed that he's just really organized or this is going to be like a lifelong struggle. A problem later on. And again, you know, I mean, like I said, OCD occurs on a continuum from those of us who care about every little thing to those of us who don't care about anything. Right. And is his behaviors interfering with his functioning? And right now they're not. (laughs) <laughs> that okay, could change when right. he's in a formal educational setting and true, there's true, other expectations so, on him. That is true. So as of now, it's not really interfering with his yeah. functioning. So you just want to keep your eye on it and see what happens with that. Right. You know, now if later on, okay, these rules are becoming more intense and he can't 
go to sleep without making sure that all of these things are done or after they're done, he has doubt of whether it's actually done. So he'll have to go back and check and make sure that they're done. And it's interfering with his ability to go to sleep at night and get up on time and go to school on time and completing his homework on time. Okay, now it's starting to interfere. Yeah. Right. And that is when you'd want to look into getting help for him. If someone is having has questions about children and diagnosis, is that something that you go to a child psychologist about? Or where does one start looking into treatment? At what point? Well, so I guess you start looking into treatment when it becomes intrusive in the ways that you just described. And Mm -hmm. then what kind of treatment modalities are you looking for? Or should parents be looking for? Right? Again, for children with behavioral issues or anxiety, even depression, cognitive behavior therapy is the evidence-based treatment. So do you want to find a therapist who actually does that? And for anxiety and OCD, you want to find someone who does exposure therapy, exposure therapy or exposure and response prevention therapy. So ERP is kind of like a subset of cognitive behavior therapy. CBT is kind of like this umbrella and ERP is Mm. one part of CBT. Okay. And you can find help on the ADAA website as well as the IOCDF.org website. They both have tons of information about pediatric anxiety and pediatric OCD. Okay. And you've mentioned a couple times you've used referenced evidence-based treatment. And can you explain to our listeners what that means? Evidence-based treatment means that these are the treatments that's been tested. Yes. That's tested been and studied, studied, right? Yes. Exactly. Like there's, there's been like and- notable results. <laughs> Yes. And there's evidence, tons of evidence that demonstrate this works. So cognitive behavior therapy has been around for over half a decade. And exposure and response prevention is one of those treatments. So it is the evidence-based treatment. I think a lot of parents, they are anxious about making sure that their child goes into the right treatment and perhaps because of their fear and anxiety, they'll Google, you know, a therapist or they'll try to get recommendation and then the child goes into therapy and it's play therapy or it's just talk therapy. And then a lot of times their child gets misdiagnosed because what ends up happening is that Teachers are usually the first to see those behavioral problems, and what they see are the behaviors, right? Now, again, when we're talking about anxiety, it's happening in your head. It's not happening behaviorally. Behaviorally is what you're seeing as the child's reaction. So let's say that you have a five-year-old with a fear of contamination, okay? And the kid sitting next to him is picking his nose, And now this kid is getting very, very uncomfortable and can't sit still and it's becoming fidgety and it's getting in and out of his seat. Now, from the outside view, what does that look like? ADHD, right? Mm, That looks like hyperactivity or inattentiveness, right? Except why is the child doing this? 
right? You always have to ask why. Why is my child engaging in this behavior? Well, I'm engaging this behavior because I want to get away from that booger boy next to me. <laughs> right? Right. Or if you have a child who is constantly worrying about his parents' safety, and during class, you know, he's constantly worrying, well, what is my parents doing? Are they okay? Are they safe? Are they alive? Would that child be able to pay attention to class? Would that child be able to stay focused on the schoolwork? No. Right. In fact, because of the discomfort that child feels, that child may also appear antsy and fidgety. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that the child is inattentive and hyperactive and therefore has ADHD? No. So too often we just diagnose kids based on the behavioral presentation without asking, well, why is this behavior occurring? And at the Renewed Freedom Center, I would say about 50% of the kids who walk in here have been misdiagnosed. Oh my gosh, that's heartbreaking. It is. It is. And then also when you start adding medications to the mix. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when a child is misdiagnosed with ADHD and then put on medications that actually worsens anxiety, then that becomes a bigger problem. So again, with children, children aren't able to verbalize their experiences as well as adults can. And therefore, you have to be able to understand why the child is behaving this way. Now, I can give you a third example. You know, if there are children who are misdiagnosed with conduct disorder or oppositional defined disorder, Okay, or aggression. Well, think of it this way. If I'm feeling anxious and I can't go to school because I feel like oh, hell will break loose if I go to school and I might get kidnapped or there's another school shooting and nobody will save me. And what if something happens to you guys, my parents, while I'm at school? I don't want to go to school. Mm-hmm. However, most parents will, you know, will try to get their child to be active, to participate, right? There's a way of going about it without forcing a child to do things that he is uncomfortable to do. You know, we have to develop something called a hierarchy to decide, well, what can he do first and Mm -hmm. second and third and fourth? You know, you don't just throw a child into the lion's cage without first giving him little cubs to tame, Right. right? Right, right. And, you know, a child would be angry if you just threw me into the lion's cage when I am so fearful. Yeah. And therefore, I'm going to react in anger. I will say things that I don't mean. However, in my intense anxiety, that's how I feel. So I've had kids come in here being diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder or conduct disorder because they've said things like, I hate you, I want to kill you, I want to smash your head into the wall. And, you know, sometimes, you know, kids, they become very impulsive. They can even grab a knife and, you know, throw it at a parent. But the underlying reason for that behavior, again, is anxiety. Right. Right. So you have to treat the anxiety in order for those behaviors to subside. And too many professionals 
don't take the time to understand why these behaviors are occurring and are quick to diagnose. Yeah, I totally agree. I actually worked in a psychiatric hospital with kids for seven years. So I wholeheartedly agree with that. I can tell you that there was a lot of diagnostic stuff that happened really quickly and Mm -hmm. always in favor of like insurance purposes. Of course. Over the needs of, of course. Kids, that's, so. that's a whole other spiel. That yeah, that's I like a whole other hour long show. <laughs> right. This has been so good and so helpful and insightful and informative. And I really, really appreciate everything that you've shared. And I know we tackled two really big topics going into OCD in adults and specifically postpartum OCD, and then also talking about what OCD and anxiety can look like in kids. So thanks for going quickly and deeply into both. I so appreciate it. I want to know before we wrap here, in what ways you are a shameless mom? Well, I think in order to be an effective mom, you have to take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you don't have the capacity to take care of somebody else. So for me, my well-being is just as important, if not more important, than my children's well-being. So I make sure I stay fit. I mean, I do have two 25-pound toddlers to handle, (laughs) so I have to stay fit and exercise. And I make sure that I have date nights with my husband because my relationship has to be strong in order to for us to be present for our children. And I do have to tell you that once my children started going through their terrible twos, I planned a girl's trip. Nice. (laughs) That is my first time being away from my children, not because of work. So I'm looking forward to that. (laughs) Oh, that's so great. That's so great. Good for you. When you decided to take that trip, did you have any like inklings of those OCD tendencies and obsessive thoughts? Or were you able to just plan it and move ahead? Yeah, by that point, I was done with OCD. And you know, (laughs) my kids were going through. Yeah, my kids were going through their terrible too. So it's like, yeah, they don't need me anyway. Nice. Nice. Oh, that's so great. Well, this has been so amazing. I so appreciate you being here as a resource. Jenny, can you please tell us where people can find you where they can connect with you and tap into your many resources? Absolutely. So I do have a Stressless Life podcast with my co-host, Dr. Noah Laracy, and that can be found on dryip.com. And then there's also the website for my treatment center, the Renewed Freedom Center in West Los Angeles, which is renewedfreedomcenter.com. Perfect. So we'll have that all linked up in the show notes as well as where you can connect with Dr. Yip on social media. And she has her book up there as well. So we'll have everything linked up over at shamelessmom.com. If you just click on the episode with Dr. Jenny Yip. Thank you so much for being here with us today. I really, really appreciate you and all the work you're doing and everything that you just did to support thousands of our shameless moms listening today. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for spending time with me today in the Shameless Mom Academy. I really, really appreciate you being here. If this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you get all episodes as soon as they're released and you never miss an episode. You can do that by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash review. That will drop you into Apple Podcasts where you can click on the little subscribe button. While you're there, please also rate and review the show. Let me know what you loved. Let me know in what 
ways you are a shameless mom. And remember, Shameless Mom of the Week nominations come from our reviews. So if you want to be nominated, you got to leave a review. So make sure you leave a review over at shamelessmom.com forward slash review. And lastly, share this episode with other shameless moms in your lives. The way the show grows and the way we build our community is by you all spreading the word. So take a screenshot of this episode, share it on social media, tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Instagram or Facebook. I will make sure I reply as quickly as I possibly can, sending you lots of loves and shout outs. And I can't wait to connect with you there. Until next time, have a great day. And remember, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us.